Welcome to the LPP Podcast. LPP is the Life Process Program, a non-12-step program for people who want to ameliorate addiction and addiction-related issues in their lives. By the way, when I say addiction, I don't mean only drug and alcohol addiction, but also addiction to sex, love, technology, gambling, pornography, a whole range of other experiences. To learn about the program or to check out free resources like articles, videos, blogs, podcast episodes related to solving addiction-related problems, visit our site at lifeprocessprogram.com or follow us on social media using any of the links in our show notes. Today, you'll get a sneak peek from a long-form conversation I had with Dr. Robert Schwabel. Robert Schwabel is the creator of a non-12-step program, sort of like ours, called Seven Challenges. His Seven Challenges are a practical guide for people, young and old, to think through the relationship with drugs and alcohol and decide how they'd like to proceed. And to the extent that people think that they have a problem with drugs or alcohol, Dr. Schwabel says not only are they not powerless, as AA and other 12-step programs might have them believe, but that they have complete agency to choose the life that they want and to decide how to move away from destructive behavior and towards an overall balanced and good life. So you see how his model jibes with our own. So the conversation was very interesting. Let's turn to the segment in Dr. Schwabel's in my conversation, which lasted two or three hours. Um, and I'll just give you a sneak peek of 20 to 30 minutes where we discuss the wisdom behind each one of his seven challenges in order. Enjoy the show. Would you mind if I went through each of the no, each of fine. the seven challenges and we could talk a little bit about it? Challenge one right. is honest with yourself, challenging yourself to honestly look at your life, including your use of alcohol and other drugs. Tell me about that. Uh, the idea with being honest to yourself is that uh, I think uh, probably you, certainly me, and probably most listeners here have made New Year's resolutions, and many of us know how long they last. <laughs> so, I mean, if 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 the voice of the book was going to be, as I say, adult to adult, and I'm saying, right. you know, consider whether you want to make these changes, I thought it was important that we... Uh, that we need what I call in the book a challenging voice, which is one that says, do you mean it? Do you really understand what you're giving up when you do use less drugs or quit using drugs? You know, these have been your coping mechanisms. These have been ways you've had fun. You've used drugs for pleasure, to relieve pain. The challenging voice is, are you really willing to let give up these things? Are you uh, really aware of the harm? Have you looked at honestly at the harm? How hard will you work at this? Will you stick at it? Or the first time, you know, you're feeling really bad, you're going to go back. The challenging voice is really needed to, to kind of keep us honest with ourselves. And that, that's where the honest part comes. And that chapter was actually deceptively profound in a sense, because you're tackling this thinking fast and slow problem where you can make a New Year's resolution, as you say, and you can actually really mean what you say about your resolution. I really do want to lose, you know, 100 pounds. I really do want to get to the gym every day, and I really do want to eat better. There are a few different tiers of being honest with yourself. There's, on the one hand, yes. if you can slow down for a moment and ask, is this really what I want? But then, on the other hand, there's, is this a realistic goal for myself, given that I have a lifestyle that's entirely different than the one I'm setting out to travel along? Yes. So there's an, you know, part of the challenging voice. And I actually get into that a little further in the book with challenge six, which is about decisions. Do I really mean it? Is this 
truly a decision or is it, gee, it would be great if I stopped having this drug problem. I, I right. want it to go away. I haven't necessarily decided to do something about it definitively. One other thing about challenge one is our, I, I, I bring up this whole other area about uh, a nurturing self-talk and oppressive self-talk yeah. in, in challenge one. And I think it's very important when whenever people try to accomplish something, whether it's to change a behavior, as we're talking about in Leap of Power, or um, whether it's to learn to play guitar or to be a better partner in a relationship. Whenever we try to uh, bring about change, for sure, there are going to be setbacks along the way. It just, you know, life doesn't work as smoothly as we all might wish. And I, I contrast the nurturing voice that when we make a mistake or we have a setback, you know, for example, we say we're not going to drink and we do drink. We have a lapse. A nurturing voice says, you know, that's part of what happens in life. Let's figure it out. You're still going to succeed. You can do it. Let's get to the bottom of this and let's make things better. Whereas the oppressive self-talk comes in and says, see, you're a loser, you're powerless, you're a failure, you're a druggie or an alcoholic or whatever. So I really think part of success in a self-help book, and this, this, by the way, is what differentiates this book from all the other material in The Seven Challenges, I decided to make this available to the public at large, is that it is a self-help book. And I think it's really important as part of making, bringing about self-change is to learn to develop a voice that's supportive, that sees you in the best possible light, and that helps you succeed in whatever effort you make in your life. So if that doesn't put you in a different category from AA right away, this will. Drug benefits. This is challenge two. (laughs) Challenging yourself to look at what you like about alcohol and other drugs and why you use them. That's, of course, a, a different framing from an AA meeting, as I'm fully aware because I was immersed in them for a period of my life. You will hear talking about what each individual liked about drugs and alcohol, but it's in the context of, like you were saying, this oppressive voice where I I just couldn't possibly stop doing drugs. It was like a demon taking me over, and I loved it way too much, and I could never do it again. This is a, a stark contrast from, from what you're talking about when you say drug benefits. Yes, people use drugs for good reasons. They They use drugs for the same reasons that motivate all of our other behavior. We're... We would like to have pleasure in life, and we would like to have relief from pain. And it's interesting that most drug treatment uh, for adolescents and adults, there's this enormous focus on the harm, trying to convince people how harmful it is, how terrible it is. And people end up making what I call harm-based decisions. They decide to quit using drugs because they want the harm to go away. And they think that's a real decision. But the way I put it, and I think uh, you and probably a lot of the listeners will will get the humor here, that's kind of a half-baked decision. It's, um, it's, uh, yes, the harm goes away if you were to quit or it goes, is reduced if you set new limits. But you also lose the benefits, the good things. You know, drugs may be the, what you use to fall asleep at night. Drugs may be how you manage your anger. Uh, if your life feels empty or you're putting yourself down all the time, drugs are a way to forget that and to distract yourself. 
drugs can help you feel comfortable in social situations. People use drugs for really what amounts to important reasons to try to cope with and have a good life. Um, and uh, the way I would put it is people have been beaten to death about the harm. They know drugs are harmful and they may be very aware and very well aware about the harm that's already occurred in their life from the counseling point of view or the self-change point of view, the most interesting question and the most useful question is, what did I like about drugs? What was I getting from drugs? What needs was I satisfying through drugs? When people understand that, they have an opportunity to step back and say, number one, I can see why I've been doing what I've been doing, and they don't have to feel ashamed of themselves. And number two, they have an opportunity to start thinking about, well, is this the way I want to meet those needs? Are there other ways? Are there other ways that I can fall asleep at night without having to rely on drugs? Can I learn to manage my anger without having to rely on drugs? Can I have fun and excitement and pleasure without depending on drugs for that? It actually opens up a world of change, a world of opportunity. It's it's sort of the window to self-understanding about why you're doing what you're doing. And it's an opportunity to think about, are there other ways I would like to handle these various situations? Which lends us very nicely into the third challenge, which is harm from drugs, challenging yourself to look at harm that has happened and could happen from your use of alcohol and other drugs. Well, uh, it's the harm that has happened or could happen. The could part are things, you know, for example, you're engaging in high risk behavior and maybe nothing bad has happened yet. And having sex under the influence, there could be an unwanted pregnancy or sexually transmitted disease. Uh, driving under the influence, maybe you haven't had a crash, but it could happen. And challenge three is about, you know, exploring what has been the harm and being honest with yourself about the, the full extent of the harm. It's, I've kind of reversed it in my own mind that the key to change is really challenge two because it opens up opportunities about how you could do things differently. Challenge three is just trying to really fill in the picture and make sure you really understand the extent of the harm. And, you know, you can ask yourself, there's a series of questions in the book, you know, have you made serious mistakes under the influence? Have you embarrassed yourself? Have you failed to fulfill responsibilities? Anyone who's on the fence and not really sure, maybe maybe they're reading the book or they're in counseling because someone told them to be there, not because they wanted to be there. This is written to help them kind of fill out the picture and really begin to see if there's harm and the extent of the harm. And I also like to differentiate two different types of drug problems, Zach. You don't hear people talking about this much, but you can have problems with drugs per se and Independently of that, you can have problems with authority that ha or authorities that happen to involve drugs. For example, you can be in, uh, you could get an arrest for being under the influence and not necessarily have a drug problem per se. And people often confuse the two. And you see this a lot in counseling where counselors are trying to argue that someone has a drug problem. And really, the, the most convincing thing would be to say, it seems to me you have a problem with your boss who sent you here right. because of your drinking. Not necessarily with alcohol. We can get to that later. So you could have a problem with authorities that involve drugs, and you could have problems with drugs per se, or you could have both. Right. So one way or another there, whether fair or not, it could be that 
the harm being generated is really not because it's independent of authority, but the harm being generated is that somebody caught you doing this and they have a values judgment against you. So it's a harm that you have to yeah. evaluate, but it's important to keep those in sort of silos, I guess you'd say. Yeah, and you especially see that, by the way, with adolescents. You know, their parents have, have uh, blew a gasket because they discovered their kid smoking weed. Great you know? point. And then the next thing you know, they're rushed off to canceling. You have drug benefits, and that really clears the air. That allows people to think about, well, the question there is not, um, how can I stop doing drugs? The question opens up to something more like, why am I using drugs destructively, if that's the case, despite consequences to my detriment? You know, why am I doing it this way? And um, what am I looking to achieve? Is that, may I interrupt? Because you posed the key question from the counseling point of view. Mm -hmm. Since people are already well aware of all the harm, People have to ask themselves, what is so compelling to me about drugs that I keep using them despite the fact that I know there's potential harm or, right. or I have been harmed? That's the central question. That gets at the, you know, the heart of the matter. Well, and that really opens things up to saying, why am I leaning on drugs instead of other more productive ways to enjoy these experiences that I want? Well, I would frame it in an even more positive way. I mean, it sounds like I've made a mistake. Why am I relying on them instead of? other things. No, no. I said, why am I leaning only on drugs? You know what I mean? I'm, I'm saying, why is my sole source of getting the satisfaction drugs rather than other positive things in my life? In, in other words, if I'm using drugs because I want something and I'm doing so in a detrimental way and I'm actually not getting the thing that I want, then you could ask sort of a question, why are these drugs the sole source of me gaining this gratification and what else could I do in order to achieve it. Yes. You could put it, what what skills am I lacking? You know, for example, if I'm using it to deal with my anger, maybe I need to learn anger management skills. Or if I'm using it because I'm angry, maybe I need to solve, I need some help and support in solving the problems that are making me as angry as I am. So that there's really a sympathetic way to, to, to take a look at that choice People are choosing it because it, it's the one most familiar, best way they know, and they may not know other ways. And that's one of the reasons, by the way, why I think counseling can be so important that, um, you know, there's, a, there's support groups, but support groups are just, you know, by definition, they're for support. Counseling gives people an opportunity to learn all these things are making me angry. How about giving me some counseling support so I can solve some of these problems and I'm not so darn angry and that doesn't leave me relying on drugs because I can't solve these problems. That gets into allowing oneself to think about harms, harms from drugs in an honest way rather than sort of knowing that the standard answer is supposed to be drugs are so harmful I need to stop doing them. It's like a little bit disarming to talk about drug benefits instead. Many people will say, no one ever asked me what I like about drugs. By the way, you could, say, you could ask why you're using, but I think it, it more freights to the question. hard question is, what is it do you like? Yeah. And people will say, no one ever asked me what I like about drugs. No one. It's astounding. We get into challenge number four, which is shared responsibility. Challenging yourself 
to look at your responsibility and the responsibility of others for your problems. Yes, that one's close to my heart. As I said, when I first got interested in the field, one of the things I noticed is the blaming and the shaming. It's all your fault. And, you know, historically, that's what drug treatment has been in this country. It started as a moral crusade kind of a carryover from the temperance movement, and then 12 Steps incorporated it, and drug problems, alcohol problems were seen as a defect in character, and I don't see them that way at all, and I think it's really important that when you begin to look at the reasons why people are using drugs, which is, as we've been discussing, challenge two, you get to see that the real answers, it's in response to the situations of their lives, and a lot of them are situations beyond their control. I mean, there's this, you know, huge amount of talk is I'm sure most people now are recognizing about trauma, but it's not just trauma that leads to drug use. There's so many other causes. There's so many, there's so much stress. There's so much um, unhappiness. There's, there's so many families that are, you know, in constant conflict. There's racism. There's gender, you know, narrow-mindedness. There, I mean, all these things that impose on people that make their lives really, really difficult. And then, when they turn to alcohol or drugs to cope with all this distress, they're told that they have a moral defect. You know, you've been sexually abused and you use drugs to cope with that abuse. Well, you obviously have a moral defect. So challenge four is about shared responsibility. And I really wrote it because I want to help people stop the excessive self-blame. Okay. And I say shared responsibility because there's a lot that we're not responsible for. But ultimately, in the end, it is our decision about what we put in our body. And we do have some responsibility. And once we begin using drugs in harmful ways, we sometimes do harmful things and we're responsible for that as well. So you're trying to get rid of the self-blame, at least in a, in a pejorative sense, and hang on yes. to self-agency. Yes, exactly. Right. So challenge number five, your future in drugs, challenging yourself to look at where you're headed, where you'd like to go, and what you'd like to accomplish. Talk about that one. I, I really like this chapter. Oh, good. Yeah, Challenge 5 has, you know, when you think about the future, there's two ways to look at it. One is sort of the negative way. If you are getting deeper and deeper into a drug problem, you kind of can say, if I keep doing what I'm doing, where is this headed? And that helps people make decisions that they may want to make some changes. The flip side of that is thinking about what you really want in the future, what is important to you, what inspires you. And I know you and Zach and Stanton have written about this very issue, how important it is that people have meaning in life, something yeah. that's important to them, that that they value, that they care about, relationships. Um, I would add to that, you know, if people have goals that they want to achieve. And that gets to what you mentioned early in our conversation about uh, what quick thinking and fast thinking and slow yeah, thinking, yeah. you know, our right now brain wants the pleasure and relief in the moment. And I talk about the right now brain and leap of power. The smart brain says, hold on, slow down. Uh, let's think about this. How will this affect my future? Don't I want to have this loving relationship? Don't I want to have uh, some success in my career? Um, it, it's the, so in terms of thinking to the future, it's uh, it's what ultimately gets people to want to change. You know, first thing that happens is 
when there's a drug problem, people begin to notice, hey, things aren't going right. This, this is messing with my life. It's, it's not working for me. But you know what? Nobody's going to change this, go through the hard work of changing their drug use patterns or behavior unless they think they're going to have a better life. There has to be sort of inspiration. There has to be optimism. There has to be hope about a better future. And, you know, for people who are, you know, have like spiritual approaches, you know, if that's important to them, what do they believe in? What's important to them? This is where it can come to bear in, in the seven challenges. It's not the, the program is not uh, spiritually based. It's not at the heart of it. But for people who, you know, that it does what is important to people and what they value really enters in with our challenge five. I love, and by the way, yeah, compliment to you and to Stanton. You know, I love your book and, and, and Stanton's older books about how, uh, how important it is to have meaning and value in life. And that, you know, that's ultimately what gets us to do the hard work of changing difficult behavior, behavior that's tough to change. Thank you very much. And, and I agree. And the reason I like this chapter is, first of all, I'm a visual person. So I see this chapter as you've sort of done the tough work and you're, you're kind of com coming up a ramp and it's useful, very constructive, productive work. And then you hit challenge number four, which is sort of that peak. What's this shared responsibility? And I see myself as I'm reading the book, sort of then beginning to step down from that, from that peak into looking at greater horizons. What's your future and where do you want to go? And I love the way that you talked about it because you can sort of have some abstract long-term goals for your future that may or may not be exactly what you want, but you can kind of think about given what you know now, what would look great in my future. And there's some more concrete ideas about the future that you can have. And once you sort those out in some different ways, it lends very nicely into the next challenge, which is making decisions, challenging yourself to make thoughtful decisions about your life, including your use of alcohol and other drugs, which is maybe getting into the more concrete bit of, of thinking about the future. Yes. There's all, you know, there's, important discussion about stages of change and uh, people basically, you know, the, the way most counseling works now is drug counseling. People come in and they're told you need to change. And it's starting with what would be our challenge six. Uh, our right. challenge six is, you know, you need to, you know, now you've done a lot of thinking, you're aware of the benefits, you're aware of the harm. Hopefully you've reduced the excessive self-blame. You've thought about the impact of it of drugs upon your future. This is a time to stop and think, what, what are your decisions? And of course, in Leap of Power, we're going to say there's more than one decision. You know, the old, the traditional approaches, there's only one decision and it's immediate abstinence. And, you know, that's just not true. People can set new limits and adhere to them. Um, people can decide they don't want to change. That's an option. Or people can use the same amounts, but use same amounts more safely. For example, they can continue to drink, but never drink and drive. Mm. So there are a lot of changes that people can make. Um, and challenge six is about thinking about their drug use. And, and very deliberately, it talks about changes in, in your life and in your use of alcohol and other drugs. Because as I said way back in 1990, it's holistic. You don't change one without changing the other. If you want to succeed 
in overcoming drug problems and really sustain the change. It's important to change what's going on in your life. And you certainly don't want people to stop using drugs and have a miserable life. You know, it's been their coping mechanism. It's been their, their survival. What we want is the best for people where if drugs have caused them harm, they can, they can quit or they can set new limits, but they can still have a great life because they're changing other things in their lives at the same time. You know, you were talking before about authority, and I'm only really thinking about this now. You say people start with the sixth challenge when they're having their first intervention often. And, of course, you wouldn't recommend this because you have three-quarters of a book's worth of thinking that a person ought to do or should be allowed to do before making those kinds of decisions. There's a real element of theft associated with uh, being a person of authority and saying, you know what, I've done the thinking for you. Now it's time for you to make decisions. And there's a there's an element of just silliness to it as well because everyone kind of knows that won't work. You know, we do yeah. it anyway. I really like how you put that. People start with challenge six. Yeah, and, you know, it's usually with adolescents. It's just arguing with them. Tell them, you need to quit. you got a problem. This is the decision you need to make. And then, you know, look at what it's doing to your life. And then, you know, the kids... I like to talk about the four F's. You get fakers, fighters, fleers, and followers. The fakers say, yeah, I'll quit because they know that's the quickest way to get out of there. They don't mean it. The fighters say, you can't make me, or they're passive aggressive. Uh, this is one you see a lot with adolescents. You know, they put their feet up on the table in front of them, and they fold their arms, and they look straight in the eyes of the counselor, and they say, marijuana is harmless. It grows in the earth. And it drives their counselors nuts, you know. <laughs> so you get fakers, the fighters, the fleers say, you know, I don't think I have a problem. My life's not going to be better without drugs. You're telling me I need to quit. I'm out of here. And they, they leave. Or if they're in residential treatment, they, they're there physically, but they're emotionally absent. And the followers are the one who go along because someone's telling them they need to quit, but they're in such a rush to get them to quit, they don't even prepare them, so they end up failing. They don't prepare them to be successful without drugs. So you know, I call that the mad rush for abstinence, and you see that yeah. all the time with abstinence with adolescents. Now, when someone's when someone is referred to your program, maybe not necessarily yeah. there on their own will, or they're choosing your program as one of a few alternatives to that's court mandated or something like that. Um, how do you balance just the idea that you're talking about that making a relationship, forming a relationship and trying to act in good faith that look, I'm not, I won't do this process for you, nor will I tell you what you must do. How do you balance that with, the time urgency involved with getting through a, uh, a program like that or, or a, a mandate? Well, that's a great question. And it, 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 you know, a lot of people will come in, fold their arms and say, I don't have a drug problem. And one of the beauties of doing a holistic program is you can say, well, you know, I'm not here to convince you you have a drug problem. I, I don't know whether you do it or don't. I'd have to, you know, in terms of my own opinion, I have to get to know you better. But, you know, less than half of what we talk about in here is drugs. Tell us about your life. You did agree to go to counseling. This is counseling. Work on issues that matter to you. And it's funny that people start working on issues that matter to them. It ends up coming around. And if they have a drug problem, it, it, will, it, will, it will pop. The other thing we do, which is important, is, you know, if they're under pressure, say, from uh, an employment situation, a job or uh, a court, 
we will say to people when they enter the program that, you know, it's not for us to say whether you have problem with drugs or not, but it does seem clear that you were referred by probation and they think you have a problem with drugs. Uh, what would you like to do about that? Thank and God. many people will be quite willing, to, you know, in terms of stages of change, they'll be quite willing to say, you know, I need to work on that so that we get we can get right to the drugs. And in fact, in Leap of Power, in Chapter 1, I say, if you want to set new limits right now or you want to quit, either because you personally want it or because you're under intense pressure and feel you better do it, skip ahead to Challenge 7, which is the longest chapter in the book, and there's a lot of very specific and concrete help about how to succeed with your decisions to either set new limits or quit. I say skip ahead after you finish Challenge 1, after you read Chapter 1, skip ahead to Chapter 7. But please, use those skills, but come back and read Challenges 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6. Mm. Chapters 2, 3, 4, and 5, and 6. Because this is what lays the foundation for long-term success. And, 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 you know, there's a lot of practical suggestions in, in Chapter 7 about how people can succeed with their own decisions, but then come back to earlier chapters. So as you ask in counseling, someone comes in and they don't want to be there, we'll say, you don't have to work on drugs, work on what matters to you. And if they're in a court situation or an employment thing, or they have a, a romantic partner who's on the verge of leaving them, we say, it does seem that you have a problem there. What would you like to do with it? And many of those people would say, well, for that reason alone, I want to make some changes right now. Yep. So with, you know, we would support them in making those changes. Right. So the, you can have someone who says, I want to get my probation officer off my ass, and that's all I want to do, in which case yes. you'd say, well, let's figure out how you want to do that. If there is an underlying problem, though, and somebody says, I want to get my PO away from me, I want to be done with the situation, and I, I would love to get everything else under control, if only this wasn't looming over me, I would start working on that, then you could say, let's jump to challenge seven, but be under no illusion that that's taking care of the underlying problems kind of a thing. And challenge seven is taking action, challenging yourself to take action and succeed with your decisions about life and use of alcohol and other drugs. And you've summed that up pretty well. Um, anything you want to add to that? Um, not necessarily, because I know we, you want to get to some questions, too. Mm -hmm. What I could say is that, you know, Chapter 7 talks about using reminders, how to remind yourself of your decision. It, gives, it uses the letters that spell out karma. K is know your triggers. A is avoid them. R is resist the triggers. M is monitor yourself, and there's some questions in there to ask yourself every day. For example, if you decided to quit, uh, have I used, did I have a very close call? Is there something that puts me at risk of using between today and tomorrow? And if there's any yes answer, you, you, know, you get to work on it. You try to figure things out. That's the M of monitoring, and, and A is holding yourself accountable, and that's the challenging voice that says, you know, you said you want to change and you mean business. Let's make sure you're really doing it. And whenever there's a setback, let's figure it out and get back on track. And then, you know, there are a lot of skills they talked about, for example, with resist, the R of karma. You know, there's the skill to notice, stop and think. There's a that one of the things that talk about is the importance of learning to endure and to know, you know, in our society, it's like we're supposed to feel good immediately. We're always supposed to feel good. Just watch the TV commercials. And I mean, one of the things, one of the life skills so many 
of us need to learn is how to just endure pain. Know that sometimes things hurt, that we can take it. Or uh, with urges to do what's been called, Alan Marlott's book talk about, wrote about this, urge, urge surfing, where mm-hmm. you, know, you start to feel you really, really want to use. And if you just hold out, you wait long enough and like a wave in the ocean, it, it's going to subside. So there's a lot of practical ideas in, 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 in Chapter 7 about you know, how people can successfully avoid certain situations and resist other situations. 